So as I said, this is supposed to be the, the first message in a series on discipleship, very specifically what it means to follow Jesus. And we're going to look at that throughout the scripture. And as you saw there, we kind of define it this way. Discipleship is being with him, becoming like him, doing as he did together. That's what it looks like in the, in the context of our church. And so that is kind of going to happen today, but I feel like the pull to lean back into the verse that we've been considering for the last month. I think there's more the Spirit wants to draw our attention to. But in that, I think it's going to be the bridge between everything that we've engaged in worship and altars for the past month into a life of discipleship. Okay? So I want you to understand these things. It's not just like pocket messages here and there, but there's a journey that the Lord is taking us on in community. Psalm 84, it says, blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. And that's what we're doing. We're on a pilgrimage together in what it means to follow Jesus. Yeah? By the way, can I just say, I'm so proud of you for coming to church today. Yeah, you're proud of yourselves. I like it. It's a long weekend. I don't know if you know that. Churches are not supposed to be full on long weekends. And we just did seven days in a row of church. You guys love Jesus. This was your test and you passed. Well done. Now we're convinced you love them. Revelation chapter 1, 5b to 6. Can we stand together, please? I want you to just hear the beauty. I can't, I can't unsee and unhear the beauty in this verse. Just one more time together as a church. Why don't you just close your eyes? To him who loves us and freed us from our sin by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests, to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Can you say this with me? To him. To him. Two of the greatest words you could ever say in your life. Jesus, thank you for your word one more time. We open our hearts to it. We open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. This message today is going to be full of tension. In fact, a ton of tension. And many of you might feel it. Many of you might just pause for a moment and be like, what in the world is happening here? Many of you might have a reaction to it, but I wanna offer you this from the beginning so that you can find your way through it with me. And the only reason the tension exists is because the tension exists in the scripture. But we have to engage it so that what God, specifically Jesus and his ministry intended the tension to do happens in us. So he speaks things that reveal things in us, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah, he does. And there's tension in those places. And so I'm just warning you, a little disclaimer off the top, that there's going to be a bit of tension in this message. But I trust that as we sit in the scripture, we're going to find our way through it. Can we do that together? Yeah. All right. Some of you are like, oh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. To him. To him. I think these are two of the most important words in all of scripture. And they simply speak about orientation. To him. To him be the glory. To him be the power. To him be the honor. To him. Well, who's him? To him who loves us. To him who freed us from our sin by his blood. To him who made us to be a kingdom and priests. It's to him. It's to the one who's on the throne. To him. 
And more than just our praise, more than just our affirmation of who he is, more than just the direction of our lives towards him, it's actually the orientation of heaven to him. It says that there's a throne in heaven and around the throne are the elders or the creatures or the angels crying, holy, holy, holy. It's a bit like this light right here. Everything, the position of every being in heaven is unto him. Everyone is around the throne. It's actually the orientation of all scripture. It's to him. All of scripture, Jesus says, points to him. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is it not? To point us to him. These are two of the most profound words that we could ever consider, and I am so excited, let me tell you, to consider them with you today. Because if we understand these two words, I think it changes everything. Not just for those who don't know him, but especially for those who do. To him. Oh, I hope I can give some of my excitement away today. Everything points to him. That's the point. All of heaven points to him. To him. Simply orientation. And most significantly for us, when we are oriented to him, that's where life is found. And it can be found in no other place. It is only found when we're oriented to him. This is why all scripture, this is why the ministry of the Holy Spirit, this is why heaven is oriented to him, to tell all of us where in fact life is found. To him. This is why worship means so much to us. As a church, this is why we set apart seven days in a row. Can we talk about this for a moment? It's not because... We're like young and like to sing nice songs and feel good with nice melodies. No, it's because we want to orient our lives to him. Amen. Not just with a nice worship service, but seven days in a row as a statement to our hearts, a statement to our church, a statement to heaven that our lives are pointed to him. Yes. To him. As we move into the busyness of our fall, and all the distractions that come, it's not like it's sustainable on this earth that we can worship all day, every day that way. But in heaven, it'll happen. But it is a statement about the direction of our lives. And it is where? To him. Worship is not about music. I don't think there's a word in Hebrew that equates Worship with music. The word worship in Hebrew is synonymous with work. Like we're called to live lives of worship in everything that we do, right? We've been teaching about this. Worship is not about music. It is about orientation. That's the point of it all. When we sing, what a beautiful name. When we sing, I love you, Lord, we're orienting ourselves to him once again. And reorienting ourselves once again. We're joining in the orientation of heaven to say to him, to us, to anybody that can hear, to the powers of the air, to him. Be the glory. To him be my life. To him be it all. This is why we don't just worship when we feel like it. Can we go? Because when we worship just because we feel like it, it becomes self-oriented. And we've missed the entire point. Oh, we're going to get, we're going to, Lord's taking us somewhere as a church. 
This is why worship cannot be based upon your feelings. Because when you indulge your feelings, all it is is self-focused. But in the middle of our feelings, God has given us a gift in his presence, in the revelation of Jesus Christ, to say, I can focus somewhere other than my feelings, and that is worship. And when we say to him, in the middle of our feelings, it starts to do something about our feelings, doesn't it? This is the beauty of worship. And I can tell you that this isn't something that, like, we started with as a church. This is something we've grown into. Where we find out that life isn't in this like self-focused, what can I get out of this experience? And you learn that, dang, it actually doesn't feel good to indulge that feeling. It doesn't feel good to just focus on myself. In fact, I find life when I get out of my feelings and focus on him. It doesn't mean that what you're going through isn't legitimate. It doesn't mean that what you're going through doesn't matter. It does. He sees your heart. But God has an order in the universe. And it's first to him. In fact, this is what Jesus came to rescue us from. A self oriented life. The gospel saves us from ourselves. Does anybody need to be saved from themselves? Oh, yes. It saves us from being self-interested and self-focused. When you look at this passage with me, Matthew 16, Fairly famous passage, and we're going to lean into the tension of it today. Matthew 16, 21. says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that, listen, he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. It's telling him all this. In verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. Can you imagine? This shall never happen to you. And then Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Listen, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus says to his disciples, famous passage, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. I wonder if Jesus paused there for a moment and let it sink in. <laughs> Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. In other gospels, it says daily. And take up their cross and follow me. Jesus is saying, hey, if, if you think it's a bad idea that I go, I'm inviting you to come with me. He ups the ante here. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, this is important, not just loses their life, loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anybody wants to be my disciple, he's speaking this to his disciples. This is the paradox of this scripture. Like it's me standing here and saying, if anybody wants to follow Jesus, and well, most of the people in this room are already followers of Jesus, but Jesus is bringing more clarity about what it means for them at this stage in the journey. Is anybody's heart open 
for Jesus to bring more clarity to you in the context of your life now? I hope so. Because there's more life for you to be found in him. Jesus said, follow me. Simply orient your life toward me and keep going. This is what it means to be a disciple, a Jesus-oriented life. I'm going to pause for a moment. All of scripture points to him. All of heaven points to him. The Holy Spirit points to him. And then Jesus shows up. And everything he tells them to do in discipleship points to him. The gospel of Jesus Christ is simple, it is two words. To him. When Jesus calls us into discipleship, all he's saying is what God's been saying the entire time. All he's saying is what heaven's been saying the entire time. Orient yourself to me. And when I move, you move. Not just an idea in your head, not just a cognition one day. Not just a nice thought on a Sunday morning, but your entire life oriented to me. Worship is not any different than discipleship. Following Jesus is no different than what's happening around the throne in heaven. It's all the same. In the Old Testament, they had a law that they had to follow that oriented their life to God. And God knew that this wasn't going to lead to life. It was going to lead to death. And so God sent his son, Jesus Christ, in the flesh so that we'd have not a law anymore to orient ourselves to, but a man to orient ourselves to. Come follow me. If you want the life he has to offer, it looks like two words to him. Follow me and you will find life. But here's what's key. You have to know what's standing in the way. And what's standing in the way is yourself. This is why Jesus says, you must die to live. And there is no middle ground. You have death and you have life. There's no gray area. It's either self-preservation or self-denial. No in-between. It's either self-oriented or Jesus-oriented. No in-between. And the cross is the filter. Because when you're faced with the cross, like Jesus says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. The cross is the exposure of whether or not we're living in self-denial or self-preservation. When I'm faced with Jesus' call to take up my cross, I have to make a decision of whether I want to or not. And all that decision exposes in your heart as if your life is oriented to him or to yourself. This is too good for you to be silent right now. Was Jesus signing them up for martyrdom? Like if I walked around this room with a clipboard right now, hey, take up your cross. It means that within the next 24 hours, you will die. How many are you going to say yes? You shouldn't. 
because that's not what Jesus is saying. Now, many of them did die for their faith, but the scriptures are clear that he took our place on the cross. He went for us. Now, following him might be unto death in your life, but I know that there are people in this room that are called to live extraordinary lives to his glory. So it's not signing up to martyrdom. It's signing up to him. He says, I'm about to go to the cross. And if you want to follow me, you need to follow me. Take up your own cross. This is the thing that Peter was ashamed of, wasn't it? Peter said, Jesus, I will go to the cross with you. I will die with you. Thomas said that to him too. It doesn't matter, I'll go. And then Jesus is carried away in shame. They place a crown on his heads. They mocked him with a sign above him that said, King of the Jews. And a little girl comes up to Peter and says, aren't you a follower of Jesus? What was in front of him? A cross. Self-denial or self-preservation? And in that moment, he was ashamed of what was going down and the cost that it might bring him. And he denied himself. He oriented his life back to himself instead of to Jesus. This is what happened. And Jesus goes to the cross. He dies. Barely anybody's there with him. They couldn't understand. When Jesus said this to them, they didn't yet know what it would mean. And I want to hand that to you today. That you saying to a, yes to a Jesus-oriented life, you only know as much as you know right now. You don't know what it's going to look like tomorrow or a month from now or a year from now. But that's not the point. You know what the point is? Today. That's why Jesus says you must deny yourself daily and take up your cross, which means you get a choice every day about the orientation of your life. And here's the beauty of Peter. This is not in my notes, but I pray this is for your heart. Here's the beauty of Peter. Peter denied Jesus one day. Jesus came to him a couple days later and asked a couple questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter said yes three times. And Jesus says, go feed my sheep. He had another opportunity to orient himself to Jesus again. We think about this as like a burden to bear. No, it's a mercy that God gives. That if you didn't choose him yesterday, you can choose him today. That's called repentance. It's the pathway to salvation. I changed the direction of my life. To him and all of heaven, all of scripture, the Holy Spirit is beckoning us to him. And God wakes us up every day and says, hey, do you want to turn to him? It's his grace that makes it available. It's just kindness that leads us to repentance. The beauty of the cross, I'm just going to preach, is that okay? The beauty of the cross is that we receive way more than it costs. That's why it's his love that says, do you want it again? Come take the cross again because I know what's on the other side. We look at it like, oh, what am I going to have to give up? And Jesus is like, that's nothing compared to the life that I have for you over there. It's not a burden, it's a blessing. He doesn't just say, take up your cross and die. And we'll talk about it later. 
will figure out how much you whined and make a judgment about what you get on. No. He says, I have life for you. But the only way is to orient yourself to me and go where I go. And where I'm going is to the cross. The cross sounds brutal, doesn't it? And it might feel brutal in your life. The moment he, by the Holy Spirit, by his word, compels you to choose him over yourself. It might feel like the most brutal thing in the world. But here's why following him matters. He showed us that death is not the end. The pain you're experiencing, the loss that you might be enduring is not the end. It's the doorway to life. That's the beauty of the cross. That's the beauty of a Jesus invitation. He's not just trying to collect fans. He's trying to introduce us to life. And there's only one way. It's through him. Jesus says it's a narrow gate and a narrow road and few find it. But those who do are led to life. The narrow gate is the cross. The narrow road is the cross every day. But down that pathway is life and life in abundance. Would you agree? He modeled it for us. If you truly want to live, you must die. Praise God. What Jesus is doing is orienting us away from our self-focused, self-interested, self-protected lives and orienting us to him. And it happens at the cross. Amen? Anybody feel tension? It feels good in here. Here it comes. I'm just teasing. You guys love Jesus. He says to Peter, you have in your mind the concerns of man. In other words, you're just focused on what everybody else is focused on. But here's the thing. Here's the gut punch. He calls him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Now, was Peter Satan? Just before this, he called him a rock. Get behind me, Satan. What he's saying is that type of thinking is satanic. It's not been born from heaven. It's been born from the one that wants to keep you from heaven. And Jesus understands its intent. Its intent wasn't just to disrupt Peter. The intent was to disrupt Jesus. And Jesus knew it right away. That's a self-focused, self-interested, self-preservation thought. And I will call it as it is, satanic. You are a stumbling block to me. Get out of my way. Jesus was clear about his purpose, clear about his mission. And nothing would stop him. The moment an iota came to self-preservation in his heart, he understood what it was. It was not from the Father. It was from Satan. Satan means adversary. In the Hebrew scriptures, when you see Satan, it doesn't necessarily point to a person. It just means adversary. You can use that word for a traffic jam. No, and I mean it. Now, of course, the one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, is, he's an adversary, right? He's an accuser. But it's a function, not necessarily a title. 
And so what he was saying to Peter's thought about, don't go to the cross, no, not you, don't go, the function of that thought is to keep you focused on self. Think less about the guy with the horns. Right? We live in the 21st century Western world, right? Think more about the obstruction that he, does, he wants to bring you in your life and call it what it is, satanic. To obstruct or oppose. Because here's the reality of what Jesus is saying. It cannot be to him and to you at the same time. Jesus made it clear. One will oppose the other. Oil and water, they do not mix. That's why he used the cross. It's the filter, the threshold, as I said already. And Paul makes it clear. He says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. He doesn't say a little bit of me and a little bit of him. The call of the gospel is to die to self so that the life of Christ can come up in you. It's the great exchange. We give him our sin, our brokenness, our self-interested life, and we receive his in return. Anybody agree with the gospel in this place? Now I need you to know what that looks like in your day-to-day life. The orientation of your thoughts, the orientation of your soul, of your desire. The binary, is it unto him or unto yourself? Peter's issue wasn't just self-focused. It was people-focused. Here, this is where it's going to get a little uncomfortable. Peter's issue wasn't just self-focused. It was people-focused. The Hebrew people in that time had a collective identity, more so than most of us Westerners will ever understand. There's this common identity that they had as the people of God. And they were waiting for their Messiah to show up particularly as a powerful political leader. And the Jews to this day that haven't placed their faith in Jesus are still waiting for that Messiah. But they're waiting for him as a political leader to overthrow the oppression in the world. And Peter had in his mind that that's what Jesus came to do. Here you are, the Messiah. I'm your disciple. I'm following you. Yes. Economy is going to be great for the Jews. You're going to heal people. You're going to teach us to heal people. You're going to, you're going to bring eating. Like, no more tears. All the widows are going to be taken care of. Everybody's going to be fed. This is amazing, Jesus. And Jesus is like, by the way, I got to go to the cross. And Peter's like, what happened to our plan? Like, it's not just that I'm going to be hurt if you die. What about everybody else? Aren't you for the people, Jesus? Didn't you come to do what we all want you to do? And in that context, Jesus still calls it satanic. He wasn't just looking out for himself. He was looking out for his people. Jesus, don't die. This is your movement. It's like we have a a political leader running for government, and they got 80% of the votes, and they're on the way. They're a week from the election, and like, by the way, guys, I'm going to dip out now. What? (laughs) This is what, honestly, this is what Peter's going through. We put all this effort. I gave my life. I stopped fishing. My reputation. All because there's a neighborhood over there that's oppressed by the Roman government right now. And I need you with your political agenda to set them free. Don't go to the cross, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, get out of my way. 
this is where the church gets caught. It's not comfortable for me to say this stuff. In fact, I've... He's the great preacher. This is where the church gets caught. We tell people that this is all about Jesus. And then we build these institutions for people. Instead of it being oriented to him, it becomes oriented to them. It becomes oriented to us. It's his church, not mine. It's not our church. It's his. The same one that spoke the words to Peter and said, get out of my way. You're not interested in what I have to say. You're only interested in what you have to say. He came with an agenda, and Jesus says, that's not my agenda. And then we build not with the concerns of God in mind, but with the concerns of people in mind. Now, there's tension there. We're going to walk through this. And when we build with people in mind, it sounds good, doesn't it? What will make people feel happy? That doesn't sound so bad. It's a decent thing to think. What will make people feel special and comfortable? What will win me approval on the platform? Whether it's this or social media, maybe you in your own context. It's in his name, but it's oriented towards people. Do you get where I'm going? And all we're doing is just perpetuating something that Jesus came to relieve us from. I wonder if Jesus would come to the church and say, get out of my way. No wonder we have such issues in the church. We say it's to him, but it's still self-focused. Could it be that all... I mean all, all of our issues in the church are because of this. All of our issues are rooted here. How could we fight and bicker and be jealous and angry and hold bitterness and all of this stuff when we're oriented to him? How? But let me make an unequivocal statement today. People matter. You can agree with that. It's safe to agree with that. You're like, wait a minute, is he gonna? People matter. People matter. The question is, is it because they matter to him or is it because it matters to us? We are not the savior of the world. Your feelings, your affections, your desires, your good-hearted thing that you want to do in the world is not going to save it. Only he can do that. People matter, but it only matters to us because it matters to him. And when we can get his heart, it's his heart that transforms our hearts and then puts people on our hearts. Social justice matters. Hear me. It matters because justice matters to him. But if he's not the one executing it, it's just us being self-focused again, trying to get our way and live upon our convictions. To him. How many times have you heard the church should Fill in the blank. The church should stay open for COVID. 
The church should close for COVID. Both of them are pretty strong opinions, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Everybody needs to get vaccinated. Nobody should get vaccinated. The church should care more about people. You should worship a little bit less so that I can get home on time. Can you wrap up a little quicker? Because I got this thing to go to. I'm not saying your thing doesn't matter. Not at all. It probably matters to the Lord. The question is, Self-oriented or God-oriented? This all becomes about our conscious, conscience and what it telegraphs about us. You ever heard the term virtue signaling? I'm going to say this and do this because of what it telegraphs about where I stand. We gotta get some stuff right in the church. This is just like Peter telling Jesus what he should do. Church, you should do this. You're a Christian, you should do this. It sounded right but it was actually self-interested. Why would Peter not tell Jesus to not die? Sounds like a good friend, doesn't it? But Peter wasn't about Jesus' agenda, he was about his own. Jesus, here's the key, Jesus has a better plan than your good ideas. I don't care how strong, how passionate, how loud you feel, how many social media posts you put out there, how hard you work, if it's not unto him, it means nothing. In fact, Jesus said it so clear. Can we bring some scriptures together? He said, there will be a day where people will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons? prophesy in your name and he will dismiss them and say depart from me you workers of lawlessness for I did not know you I'm not just a pastor up here with an opinion today this is the word of God the ministry of Jesus in front of us this is his church look at this Mark 14 you guys okay Mark 14, while he was in Bethany, that being Jesus, reclining at the table in the home of the, the Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. That sounds good. They're probably really proud of themselves for rebuking Jesus for receiving this gift. Well, it says they rebuked her, but you get what I'm saying. And then Jesus said, I love this. Leave her alone. You pour out your worship on Jesus. Let him come say, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing. Listen to these words, to me. Those guys wanted it to them. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. She did this to me, and Jesus affirmed it. Poor people everywhere. 
Does this mean Jesus doesn't care about the poor? Absolutely not. He has a plan, but he also has an order to me first. Life is not found in your good ideas. You want to provide them lunch for a day? I want to provide them life for eternity. And she understands it. So stop bothering her. In another scene, Mary sits at Jesus' feet, listening to his teachings. And Martha, her sister, is upset. And she gets mad. She almost asks Jesus. She said, Jesus, can you rebuke her? All this work. She, she's just sitting at your feet. Remember this? Jesus, tell her. Put her in order. Put her in line. And then Jesus looks at Martha, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, you're distracted by many things. Only few things matter. In fact, only one thing matters. To him. Martha, your life is oriented to all the busy things that you got to do. Mary's life is oriented to me, and that will not be taken from her. She, Mary has chosen the good portion. Here's the Jesus-oriented life. Amen. Amen. Yes, and we celebrate it. We say, yes, I know there's hearts burning in this place. But here's more than that. I need you to understand something else. I need you to understand what the Jesus-oriented life is in conflict with. I need you to leave with that today so you can discern the difference. And it's in conflict with, you already know it, the self-oriented life. Martha just wanted to take care of the people. Martha just wanted a nice house and to have good hospitality. We're going to look at this tension next week. She wasn't doing anything wrong. But Jesus was there. And she had opportunity to orient to him. And she chose something else. And Jesus just says, sorry, Mary chose the better portion. She's agreeing with heaven right now. She's agreeing with the scriptures right now. She's agreeing with the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to take it from her. What Martha wanted to do in serving people sounds selfless, but she was oriented towards people, not to Jesus. Only one thing matters. Okay, one more question today. Sam, you can come up, I think. What about the people? What about the people? Anybody have a bent towards caring for the marginalized? For the poor? For your neighbor? For your family? Sounds like I'm rebuking you today, doesn't it? I'm not. Neither is Jesus. What about the people? As Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, what do you think he was saying to her? What do you think he was teaching her? Take care of the poor. Feed the hungry. Care for the widow. Whatever you do to the least of these, you do unto me. Oh, Jesus was all about people. It's not your heart that he needs to save the world. It's his heart that you need to save the world. This is the kingdom. It's all about people. God came to seek and to save. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. His heart is inclined towards humanity. Yes, this is not about polarity, this or that, God or people, heaven or earth. It's about priority. This, then that. Or more specifically, this from that. John 15, 8, Jesus says this, this is to the Father's glory that you bear much fruit. What is fruit? Souls being saved. Evangelism. Signs and wonders that bring healing to bodies and to homes. Reconciliation that restores generations, fruits, redemption of this world for the people. Jesus said, it's to the Father's glory that you go bear fruit. Yes, we're called to impact the world in small ways that nobody's seen, in large ways that overwhelm the world and only point to Him. Yes, we're called to bear fruit, but He said something else, showing that you are my disciples. Bear fruit that can only come out of your life oriented to me. In fact, this is the only way that you can bear fruit. You can do nothing apart from me. To him, this is why we worship. This is why we set our lives apart. This is why we obey. He said to the disciples, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey what I have taught you. Obeying is orienting your behavior towards Jesus. Not just your thoughts, not just your affections, but your behavior. Jesus was all about the mission of the Father. To orient the world to himself. Because this is the way that life will flow from him to us to the world we have to stop trying to do it in our own strength with our own 21st century good ideas that are people focused no focus on him and let the conviction of his heart convict your heart and go out and touch the world that's the only way it'll transform anybody that's the only way it'll make any change it's the only way it'll be sustained it's the only way you'll have power the more fighting we see in the church, the more bitterness, the more envy, the more discord, the more we know it's self-oriented, not him-oriented. Let's get back to him being the center of his church. Oh, you can amen that. To him being the center of our lives. Those of you in business, orient your heart to him and watch life flow through you in economy. Those of you in policy, orient your life to him and watch the kingdom of heaven and its values be manifest in your way, in your region. Family, wives whose husbands aren't oriented to the Lord, orient yourself to the Lord and watch your husband's heart be inclined once again to the source that you found. Husbands, follow him. The fruit we're longing to see in our lives and in the church will only, hear me, only come when we live our lives oriented to him. This is not to him instead of the world. This is to him for the sake of the world.
The gospel of Jesus Christ frees us from ourselves. This is his church. We are his people, and this is for his glory. In Jesus' name, oh, I need you to. started this church the one verse we had the only direction we had was Joshua 3 5 consecrate yourself set yourself apart for his purpose and tomorrow I will do wonders among you this has always been our conviction and this will always be our conviction this is who we are as a people we are oriented to him no matter what comes our way big church small church big influence no influence it's up to him What about your life? What about your family? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is it self-focused or God-focused? When we want heaven on earth, what was the orientation of heaven? To Him. If we want what's happening in heaven to be on earth, what does our orientation need to be? To Him. Can we stand up? Come on. Thank you for standing already. We've been worshiping all week and we're not gonna stop. My question for you today is this. Do you want a life oriented to Him? Do you know what stands in the way? Thank you for the gift of repentance, Jesus. Thank you for the gift of repentance. Close your eyes. We are the people of God. Even the setup of this room is oriented to Him. Holy Spirit, come and point us to Jesus. Choose this day, just this day, and then choose again tomorrow. I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. What good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? If this is for you, I just want you to lift your hand. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm telling you with authority, this is for you. These are his words. This is his word. life and life in abundance it will never cost you more than he gives in return exchange yourself for him and the more you look like him the more you'll look like yourself Jesus we are your people and we orient ourselves to you I know the pull of my own heart, Lord God, and today I surrender it to you. No more bitterness. No more anger. No more resentment. I take my focus off of those things and I place them on you, Jesus, because you have the healing I need. You forgive me, so now I forgive others. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. Orient yourself to Him. I'm asking you right now, and please just trust me. We need to do this as a people of God. If this is for you, I want you to lift your hands. I want heaven, I want heaven to see, the power of the air to see. Every demon that comes to distract, 
to make you self-interested and self-focused, to cause you to live in fear. I want them to see right now the people of God who have oriented their lives to the King of Kings. What is happening in heaven is happening on earth. To Him be the glory. To Him be the power. To Him be the honor. To Him be my life forever and ever. God, I take my eyes off of myself and my agenda and I trust that yours is better than mine. Come on, yield to him. Yield to him. Yield to him. Stop trying to save yourself. Why we worship?